you are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Never heard of the Should I? It's a ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. What a piece of junk! Covering Star Wars vehicles in less than 12 parsecs, this is Start Your Engines. Don't get technical with me. Here are your hosts, Paul Naylor and Mark Newbold. You're listening to Start Your Engines. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who, if he was driving in Atas, he would literally stomp across the car park. I have done on many occasions. <laughs> <laughs> how you doing, Paul? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Very good. I'm looking forward to this episode because in previous episodes, we've talked about a freighter, the Falcon. Yep. We've talked about fighters in TIE Fighters. Mm-hmm. We've talked about speeders in our oh. mini celebration episode. Yep. Exactly. Last episode, we talked about General Grievous's mini fleet, and there's all sorts <laughs> of stuff in there. Today... We're talking about the Imperial Ground Forces, specifically the ATAT, yep. or the AT-AT, or the Imperial we'll Walker. We'll come back to that. We'll definitely come back to that. <laughs> or the AC-ACT from Rogue One, and the ATST from loads of things, including yep. Mandalorian and obviously Empire Strikes Back and Jedi yep. and other cool stuff like Rogue One. As a kid, my favourite toy for a long time was, of course, the Falcon, but then when that ATAT, that Walker, came onto the scene, the Palatoy Walker in 1980 when Empire came out. That was just the best, and still is one of the very best toys. What's your first memory of seeing the ATAT, just in any arena, whether it was the film or the toys, what's your first memory? I think my first memory of it was either in a newspaper report. I think there were, you know, there were a few grainy images promoting the Empire Strikes Back. I can definitely remember one of Chewbacca choking Lando Calrissian, but I'm sure there was images in there of the ATAT, and it is ATAT. More than anything else, my fondest memory, as you just alluded to, is is the toy, the Kenner Stroke Palatoy toy that we all grew up with. When that came out, I was quite late getting it, actually. I think my good friend Richard Amos, he had it six months to a year before I did. I'd got the Falcon. The Falcon worked brilliantly, not only as a as a ship, but also as a playset. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Yeah. But then the Attack Walker, I think I'm right in saying, was slightly more expensive. Oh, yeah. I think it was around £30, £40, which back in 80, 81 yeah. was quite expensive. Yeah. That was the big Christmas present that year. But when I got that, yeah, that was incredible. It was just so imposing, wasn't it? Exactly. It was brilliant. And the, the click of the legs, and it was just fantastic. And the fact that you could open it up and stick all your snow troopers in the back only encouraged you to buy more of them. But <laughs> it, was, it was a great toy, and it still is. Highly desirable, highly collectible. But the thing that I liked most about it was I could turn a light off, put the lights on and the cannons and watch those going. Chin cannons going. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, such happy memories. Yeah, Absolutely. It was a key scene in that film in Empire Strikes Back. Unusual because the big battle in that film, it's front loaded, isn't it? That yeah. movie. That battle starts at the beginning. And when you see them on the ridge, those sort of three to five little dots coming forward, yeah. there's no stopping them. Manufacturer. So it was managed by Kuat Drive Yards. They built it, uh, Kuat and Trailer Drive Yards. It's a combat walker. So obviously it's built to go into combat. It's a heavy weapon. If I remember, I think General Veers, who's obviously commanding it in Empire, yeah. was part of the team that developed right, the walker. I, I wasn't aware of that. That model that you saw, it was using the Galactic Civil War. There was two variants. Now, I didn't know this. This was research that sort of brought this up to me, and I didn't know. There were two models. One model was shorter than the other. So the variant was shorter than the earlier model. The variant, if you like, was was the one we saw in the Civil War. Weapon systems. It had dual Piperal Salern R90C medium blasters on the sides. 
or its temple. So when you remember the Palator one, you had the chin guns that would fire. Yeah. You had those guns the at the side. Clicking guns on the eyes of the, exactly. <laughs> the head. Exactly. Or the temples, as they call it here. <laughs> and a pair of Tamerback MS-1 fire-linked heavy laser cannons on the chin. Yeah. That's the sort of thing you would find on a, on a starship. I mean, they're, yeah. they're powerful lasers. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Because of the passage of time and because of the fact that we've now obviously seen the behind the scenes stuff more recently in the fantastic uh, documentary series that's been on on Disney Plus, yeah. where you see the, the the stop motion photography that went into to, to actually animate those, something that they don't need to do these days, but the quality of that of that stop motion was yeah. was off the charts for the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I mean even now, I think when they when they animate stuff now. I, th- I think one of it might be Rogue One. I could be wrong, but it might be Rogue One when they did CG animation for mm. the AC ACTs, which we'll come yeah. to later. And they did it as a computer generated image, and it was too smooth. Yeah, and they almost had to do it do it like stop motion <laughs> yeah. because it, yeah. it's got that unique movement jerkiness because it felt right for the for the the weight yeah. and, and the height and and the very nature of what it was and it, it felt, felt more right. like hydraulics didn't yeah. it yeah it felt like there'd be pistons and all sorts yeah. of stuff going on and and that it needed to move in that way so yeah i can understand why they would have had to have toned down their capabilities to be able to achieve the look that we knew yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely and and it worked a dream the Atat, and we're going to keep saying Atat because it's Atat. <laughs> it was the successor of the all-terrain tactical enforcer, which was used during the Clone Wars. Although it was obviously a far more imposing version, so you got the long legs. It's yeah. like a camel, really, isn't it? Yeah, I was sort of it as a as a horse, but or, or a dog. I mean, you, yeah, you see the parodies where people take them for a walk and stuff like that. But uh... I think in the making of Empire back in the day. And I think it was Joe Johnson and certainly Phil Tippett looked at the sort of the leg motions of an elephant. Yes. The way, yeah. you know, the way the front left and the back right would I'd, move I'd, together. Yeah. It became the standard for ground forces anyway. You, you're on a battlefield, you're a rebel yeah. or a partisan rebel. Yeah. Or, or just any kind of scoundrel that's causing trouble to the Empire. And you see one of those things. And generally, you'd only see one. I mean, at Echo Base, you see five of them come in and you know they're there for business. But to see just one of them, it's generally game over, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's so imposing, because it makes a statement almost, Mm. like a luxury car makes a statement a fancy watch makes a statement having an attack turn up on a battlefield yeah. makes a massive statement they cost 150,000 credits but it's not available for public sale now stepping around a little bit we see the raider mm. ATST in yeah. the Mandalorian yes. clearly that's after the fall of the empire so these pimped. these yeah. ve- exactly massively <laughs> pimped and these vehicles get out there after the reign of the empire yeah. you couldn't imagine a scenario and it must have happened it's a big galaxy you can't imagine a marauder group getting hold of an attack which which they could i mean ray was living in a downed attack on, yeah. on jakku so they're around which was a lovely touch it I was wasn't like it that. to see one of those vehicles maybe not literally painted up like the raider was yeah. but, but used by a, an outlaw group yeah heavily rusty one or something yeah that's, you know on its last legs literally well hey <laughs> but you know you imagine the upkeep yeah getting parts i mean there's parts all around the galaxy dudes where you go to get your parts isn't yeah. it i've always thought that the attack has been a bit of a metaphor as well i mean echo base is like a fortress yeah and an attack's like a trojan horse yeah it's very much we're mirroring that and we're using this giant horse yeah or camel yeah. or dog to get into this base. The Battle of Hoth, Echo Base, it's the Helm's Deep of the Star Wars story, isn't yeah. it? It's the Two Towers moment, isn't yeah. it? De- breaking the defences, the good guys are on the run, they're on the back foot. Like you say, it was, it was such a brilliant thing to put that main battle 
right at the beginning of the yeah. film rather than having it at the end. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back, it's rarely out of my top two or three films mm. because it just breaks all the rules. But that's what the whole film is about. You've got a rebellion. That's the most rebellious film that we've seen from yeah. Star Wars, apart from maybe Rogue One. Its first appearance really in The Empire Strikes Back, it was such a, a unique looking vehicle for us as kids when we saw it. When we Completely. Were, it'd have been nine, ten. And light years ahead of anything we saw in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. The Millennium Falcon feels and still does feel like a character. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a ship. And I think because these mimicked an animal, yeah. they felt like a character as yeah. well. So all of a sudden you've got the good guys mechanical character and you've got the bad guys mechanical yeah. character i don't know about you but i mean it was always the falcon versus the attack oh yeah when, when i was playing with my figures as a kid totally and it does have personality because there's that moment in rogue one i know that's the acact which is yeah. actually a bigger vehicle than the attack but when Baze shoots it with that torpedo yeah. and hits it and you're thinking yep and then it just sort of turns and looks at him and he has that look of oh you know there's definitely personality to yeah. these vehicles isn't definitely there? and the good thing about that vehicle of course was with its container bay the orange container yeah it was obviously a little bit flimsier than your standard attack walker it had got that void if you like yeah that was plugged by the orange container that when the fighters attacked it they could actually do some damage and it basically broke it in two that's right when you see general you merrick takes one down no you had and to go with the wedge idea of that's wrapping right. your tow cable around uh, and you see the, the u-wings do the same don't yeah. they yeah but yeah. The, yeah you're right that's a good point actually you know the armor on an attack well luke says that they are yeah. they're almost too strong for blasters so they're not going to do it that way but with an ACACT, even though it's bigger nowhere near as tough what i liked about it was you'd got a line of vehicles that clearly came from the same stable yeah they'd all got that same sort of head even down to your mini rig your int4 mm. which yes. is clearly yeah. just basically an atat head but that was great i mean if you couldn't afford an atat as a kid if you had an int4 you were part way there <laughs> <laughs> technical specifications 20 meters in length 22 and a half meters in height it's 60 foot plus in height and it could move up 60 kilometers an hour so 50 mile an hour pretty much that's pretty fascinating it didn't look like that in the film did no it? <laughs> but, but but you imagine <laughs> galloping over the plains to see an attack we've never seen an attack at full clip maybe in robot chicken hello i'm dennis lawson and you're listening to Fanthatracks. engine specs it had a KDY FW62 compact fusion drive system. So we, we talked about big vehicles in the past when we talked about the invisible hand and such. But those things require so much power that their engine room essentially could power a city for a year. Yeah. They're just incredibly powerful. Obviously, an ATAT wouldn't need the same level, but to have a compact fusion drive system, it clearly gets through a lot of juice because... Mm-hmm. If that's going up any kind of incline, if it's stomping through snow, if any terrain, it's got to get through it. And it is an all-terrain vehicle. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of juice to move. So I was thinking, Mark, obviously the Atta and all the walkers, they've got to be dropped to the ground somehow. Yeah. How do they actually get from space or on the peripherals of space to the ground? So the big warships are able to carry something called a Y85 Titan dropship. So it's like a big blocky dropship that they use to put the walkers basically like you just said put them on the ground so they're made by income corporation they've got repulsor units they've got four laser cannons they've got space to accommodate four attacks and four scout walkers so they can carry a lot of stuff down so i suppose in empire you'd imagine that over the ridge beyond the shield deployed the attacks deployed the atst and then would have flown back to the executor or the executor as people in america like to say <laughs> but it's the executor because executors hand out wills and executors execute things so it's the executor i'm sorry so yeah so that's how they do it so basically it's it's a massive drop ship 
but they can carry multiple ATATs and ATSTs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> sat here thinking that there's some poor guy sat in this ATAT walker as it's being dropped from a Star Destroyer through the atmosphere onto, onto a planet with his fingers crossed. Don't die. Don't die. We've landed. We're okay. <laughs> or do they shuttle them down in, in a, an Imperial shuttle and then... I'd rather imagine it's exactly down. like you just said, <laughs> that the guy's literally <laughs> looking out the window thinking, this could be my last ride. Yeah. <laughs> that might be why short troopers wear brown trousers. That could be. <laughs> Definitely khaki. Weapon systems. They've got two Tamerback MS-1 fire-linked heavy laser cannons, as we mentioned earlier, but there are different configurations. So they could have that or two MK3EW heavy laser cannons and two FF4 medium repeat and blasters. This is for the tech heads. I know this means nothing to anyone. <laughs> or, as another configuration, two MK2EW medium blaster cannons and they have also Durasteel foot pads. So on their feet, it's like shoeing a horse. Yeah. Could be walking on concrete on one mission. They could be walking on snow or grass the next. And we talked about hydraulics, shock absorbers. But if they've got Durasteel foot pads, it's going to take a lot of pounding, a lot of pressure. You could do a mission in the morning and a mission in the afternoon. It could be half the galaxy away. <laughs> you know, they travel fast. After Endor, there is something called a post-Endor refit. Light turbo lasers, Durasteel foot pads, as we've mentioned. So they've got options. They've got refits. It's a vehicle like the Falcon that you can sort of change and customize for mm. different arenas and different requirements. Cargo capacity. As a compliment, it's got five speeder bikes. We mentioned speeder bikes yeah. before we started recording. Yeah. You mentioned something very interesting yeah. about, well, let's say it, you mentioned about yeah. the... Yeah, it hadn't really sort of come to mind until my lad Matthew, when he was growing up, you know, he was born in 2003, so he was perfect for the Galactic Heroes. I've got a fondness for mainly because... It was mine and Matthew's connection for Star Wars. He had the Attack Walker as a present one one year, and it came with a little uh, speeder bike, a white one. So rather than the brown that we traditionally see on Endor, which figures because of the trees, you got a white version of the speeder bike because of the snow. I think there have been versions from the three and three quarter inch line where they have released some speeder bikes with the white plates on it as well. It would have been great to see. And, and like I said to you before, if ever they did go back, and we all have mixed feelings about them tinkering with that, our beloved films, but... If they did drop a few sort of like white speeder bikes on Hoff, I'd be up for that. Yeah. That'd be great. A special special edition. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be in a scene that we've already got. They could just that'd be an additional scene where you see them dropping out of the side of an attack walker and then speeding off. Fantastic. I'd just love to see something like that. The concept and the logic makes all the sense because in Obi-Wan Kenobi, we saw the air speeders, yeah. which of course get fitted out as snow speeders in Empire Strikes Back. So that was always like a retrofitted thing in universe. And we've finally seen what an actual one looks like for real. You see one in a specific environment. And as a kid, and maybe even as an adult, mm. you automatically think that that's all it ever is. Yeah. Had we seen it first on Hoth, and then we'd seen it on Endor. We'd yeah. gone, ah, oh, right, oh yeah, they're, yeah. they're camouflaging it for different environments. Yeah. But because all we've got is a point of reference is Endor, can't even imagine what the possibilities would have been. And the fact that we have now got speeder bikes in all sorts of different time zones, we saw them in the prequels, we've got them in the sequels, it would just be nice to push it again in, into Empire. Crew compliment. It's got a pilot, it's got a gunner and a co-pilot, one commander and two deck officers. Its minimum crew is three, so you can run an attack with just three crew. But passengers-wise, 40 troops or more, depending on the configuration, and again, you know you can change the internals to yep. carry speeder bikes, or I, yep. I believe you can even fold up ATSDs and yep. fit them inside. Cargo capacity. Its cargo capacity is one metric ton, so it can't carry a crazy amount, but it could certainly carry a significant amount of yeah. whatever it would need to carry consumables, weapons, anything else. Massive vehicle. It's a staple of Star Wars. 
on screen, best memory of seeing the attic. I love the bit on Hoth when it sort of puts a leg out to one side and steadies itself, yeah. leaning a little bit, and then fires on the defences at the Echo Base. And you're nodding away as oh, if that's totally. your favourite. It is exactly that. There's the, he puts its back leg and steadies itself. Yeah. You see a fellow at the front of the screen running, and I don't know whether he just tripped over, and they thought, oh, we could add something in there. And you see it shoots down and shoots the one guy, and you see him tumble over, and then it shoots towards the power generators. And there's another shot, there's a, a similar favorite. shot, but he takes, he takes out a snowspeeder as well. Yeah. It sort of clips a snowspeeder. The second favourite one being where there's one that they've, I think they've done the tow cable on it or they've shot it and it's got all like the lasers flying around the head of it and then the body of it. And then before it drops to the ground, it kinks its leg up. The foot is sort of like partly sort of broken yeah. and then it tumbles. That it's also, like his backside drops on yeah, its legs, yeah, isn't it? Like it, the hydraulics yeah. have gone on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Empire Strikes Back, in many ways, was light years ahead of A New Hope. So different in tone, but with the characters that we that we all loved. It's interesting that The Empire Strikes Back, more often than not, comes out as being people's favourite film. It's one of the few ones that Tatooine doesn't appear in. Mm. So, Lucasfilm, just drop Tatooine every now and then. Just do something a bit different. You never know. People might like it. <laughs> For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars news 24-7, 365. So Rogue One, back in 2016, introduced the AT-ACT. That's the All-Terrain Armoured Cargo Transport. So it is an AT-AT with the guts ripped out and a great big cargo unit in the middle. Bright orange. It looked amazing. <laughs> Target practice. Exactly. It's bigger than an AT-AT as well, yeah, which is yeah. surprising. Manufacturer. So it's built by Q at Drive Yards again. It's an all-terrain armoured cargo transport. This costs 125,000 credits. It's cheaper than an ATA. It's a practical, essentially a practical vehicle, but it can look after itself. Technical specifications. It can move at 50 kilometres an hour, so it's a bit slower than a regular ATA. But in terms of size, it's 34.9 metres long and 31.85 metres high. So it is significantly bigger than an ATA when you stack the two together. Yeah. When you first saw that in Rogue One, I mean, of course, our first thought is ATA. <laughs> yeah. But then, Straight away, you were conscious that's a big attack. If that's an attack, that's a big attack. And we learned pretty quick that it wasn't a yeah. standard attack. The first thing that you think as a cynical adult is, oh, here we go. Slightly different. So they can sell another toy. Yep. <laughs> Why couldn't it have just been an attack? <laughs> <laughs> but then it is nice to have these different versions because, you know, you see that wherever you see it, be it in the shop or somebody's collection mm. or on, on the screen, and automatically you're taken to that particular film or TV show, depending on where it's been placed. But yeah, no, I, I love the idea that it was actually basically um, a mule to move stuff from one place to another. And Scarif was such a beautiful location anyway. Yeah. That's why the Emperor Holiday's there, according to Lego. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just smacked of being fragile to me because it had got essentially a, a hollow part mm. to it, although it had got the, the container in it. Once that came out, then it had got nothing really to support it if it was attacked in the right place. Weapon systems. It's got two Tamenback MS2 heavy laser cannons, just like it's slightly smaller brother crew compliment at uh, one pilot he's got a vehicle commander a gunner and a load master so again it's showing that it's a working vehicle yeah 10 passengers cargo capacity it's cargo capacity weirdly 550 cubic meters so it doesn't give it in tonnage; it gives it in space yeah. which is sensible so clearly this can carry hefty hefty stuff it can carry many thousands of metric tons of raw material it's got cargo handling systems so it's got means of dragging that stuff up and into it independently it's got a dedicated cargo bed as well so you'd imagine that's a broad area and can take a lot of weight it's got 
a magnetically sealed cargo container, which I think is is a great idea because in the New Hope, when they go into the trash compactor, can't get out because it's magnetically sealed. Yeah. And now you've got cargo containers that are probably just as tough. And I wonder mm. when we did Smuggler's Run yeah. in Disneyland and you're chasing in the Falcon, you're chasing that Convey X train yeah. with those cargo units yeah, on yeah, the back yeah. and you pick them up. And I wonder how far away they are from the guts, the middle bit of an ACACT. They feel yeah. quite similar. I'd, I'd never thought of that. They're smaller, yeah. but they've got the same feel, haven't they? I automatically thought of it more as, as like a section of the train from Solo. But yeah. You're right. It, it is more likely to be comparable to that. And Hasbro released an absolutely fantastic ACACT vehicle, yeah. which was just a beauty. It did so much. It was a great size. Yeah. It looked amazing. I wish I'd I, bought one. Me too. I don't take many things out of the box. <laughs> that would have been one thing I would have definitely I taken think out of the right. box. That would have displayed brilliantly. Yeah, wouldn't it? it really would. And I wonder now we've got Andor on the doorstep as we talk. Yeah. It's not far away. I do wonder whether or not we will see Scarif. It feels like Scarif I think could we be. should. If not in season one, certainly in season two. Mm. But then if we see Scarif, you know that the ACACT and the other defences we saw in Rogue One are going to be on the ground. It's that military installation. I don't know how long Scarif had been there, the Imperial base there. There's going to be a slightly different time frame to this than there was for Rogue One, so we might even see precursors to that. Hi, this is Gareth Edwards, director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage, called Rogue One. You're listening to Panther Tracks. Enjoy. Wouldn't it be interesting if we saw Hoth? Because Hoth is such a wasteland, isn't it? Yeah. And such at the back of beyond. So there's going to be all sorts of potential for places where we can actually see these walkers in use. Yeah. But also the establishing of the bases that can sort of handle these kind of technologies yeah. so it'd be nice the infrastructure that yeah the infrastructure yeah, yeah. so so we, it would be a great scene to have somebody like andor and some of the big chiefs of the uh of the fledgling rebellion looking at all these different sort of things that, that they could potentially come up against and say yeah. how are we how are we going to counter these? this yeah because yeah. in empire i mean going back to the atat it felt very much like luke had sort of gone i've got an idea use your tow cables yeah and and yet you look at a snow speeder and think, why else would it have a tow cable? It seems like the perfect, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> why have we taken that out with us, lads? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it was almost like an idea that, and oh wow, we've just figured a way to trip up this incredible machine. Yeah. It was it felt off the cuff, but yeah. it, like you say, logically you would look at these vehicles and go, what's the weak spot of the Death Star? Oh, yeah. it turns out there's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. So yeah. let's let's target <laughs> that that yeah. we just happen to know, which is the whole point of Rogue One. But all vehicles you would imagine would have something. They've all got a weakness. Hi, this is John Morton from The Empire Strikes Back. I'm Dak Ratha or Bespin Boba, and you're listening to Bantha Tracks. So by the time Return of the Jedi came out, Star Wars had been the biggest movie ever. Empire wasn't far behind. E.T. came and dethroned them both at the box office, and then Return of the Jedi comes out. The final last hurrah, as we saw in Light and Magic, of that original team, but what a last hurrah. Dennis Murin often referred to it as their magnum opus. It was as far as optical could really be pushed, and boy, did they push it. And one of the key vehicles, even though we had seen it in Empire Strikes Back, a slightly different version of the ATST, along with the Rancor, which, if you think, are almost like the biological and mechanical versions of each other. The ATST is totally a character and really does lead the charge, certainly for the Empire, the Empire's forces, the Grand Forces on Endor in the final third of the film. Were you aware of the ATST when Empire came out, or was that something that really came to the fore for Jedi? It was, certainly was for me. I was kind of new. Like we were saying earlier, it, it's a blink and you miss it kind of reference to the walker. It's just like thrown in there for whimsy almost. But the Skywalker on Hoth 
it's sort of like, oh, that's cool. All your focus is on the at yeah. You get to Endor, and all of a sudden the scout walker is it's in your face. It's, it's front and centre. And I suppose when you're thinking about the environment that it's in, all those trees, you need something that you can manoeuvre between them. And that's not going to be the ideal for that no. at all. So the ATST, the scout walker, the chicken walker, whatever you want to chicken call walker, it. Yeah, chicken walker, yeah. Chicken walker. I don't remember that being thrown around a yeah. few times. It was the right walker yeah. for that environment well, what's your first memory of it before the film came out we got lots of i think we used to get the sunday mail and the local papers like you know the mercury and around birmingham and such and there was pictures of a certain sort of stock photos the very first picture i remember seeing from jedi was weirdly a wackling right yeah. uh, and it was all tied in with a, an interview with carrie fisher as i remember yeah but in terms of the ATST, it was seen it in the film, and also they did the collector's edition, yeah. which had the, the sort of the Endor picture on the front, yes, the red Jedi logo, the yeah. long white Jedi logo, white cover with the the Endor picture on the front, mm. and there was a whole sequence where Murin and Tippett go into all the details of how they physically made the models work. Yeah. So that kind of was where I really became. I mean, that particular magazine was what really got my interest. That and Bantha tracks, obviously, I was getting that at the time. But in terms of seeing it on screen, yeah, it, it is seeing it in that first seen outside the bunker when you really see it for the first time properly yeah first tactile memories going into john menzies yeah and, and getting my actually buying my scout walker from john menzies right okay you know, i've got a couple and just oh man that was such a cool just pushing the yes, thing on the back just to get the legs go yeah yeah and, and then you've got to lock it lock it to stand again. that's yeah. it just a brilliant that, model. that was a really clever sort of like little thought that they yeah. put into that wasn't it the yeah. fact that you could have it as a standing model or you could actually make it walk is there any one standout part of it from Return of the Jedi a standout moment it's not a good moment it's for probably going to be the same, for my, same as mine it might not Does be it involves some trees it definitely involves <laughs> trees I mean there's obviously there's the two big scenes there's yeah. the log smashing to, to completely destroy it which again when you read that collector's edition book when they explain how they made what looks like a solid head but it was made out of a, an alloy that was like a, you know, a hundredth of an inch thick right. it was ridiculous how yeah. they did it so that those those logs those weighted logs would literally crush it yeah. how there wasn't like jam splashing out from the inside <laughs> those two guys would have been marmalized how there wasn't marmalized sort of, just, <laughs> there's a word yeah how, how they didn't do that is, is beyond they kind of should have done but hey ho and also the scene on the logs and I still look at that and think how the heck did they I know what you mean. How did they do that scene with logs? Because those logs are flawless. Where it's like Bambi on ice. Exactly. It's literally like Bambi on ice. And the way they did that is just poetry. And again, the artistry, going back to Light and Magic again, the artistry, and this isn't to knock CG, because CG's made stupidly crazy advances and does stuff that Optical never could. But here we go. One of the interviews I did a few years ago was with Dennis Murin, and we talked about this. And I, I sort of said, you know, had Optical gone as far as it could ever get? And he said it was as far as they ever wanted to take it. But I think if we'd put more money into it, we could have took it further. Mm. But there, there was no denying CG. I mean, we've seen Light and Magic. Yeah. The Jurassic episode was the one that really made that stand out. Yeah. But in terms of what they did in Jedi, how they got that ACSD to do the wobbly leg thing was just amazing. Even now, I don't think they could make that any better now. No. The fact that, that it, its legs are all over the place, it's comedic in a, yeah. in a certain way, but it's also... How did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, those are my two favourite ATSD moments, the, the squashed head and the, the tripping over the logs. Technical specifications. It was also built by Q at Drive Yards. It's an all-terrain vehicle, the all-terrain scout transport. It's 75,000 credits to buy. Now, we mentioned it earlier, Mandalorian. Yeah. Season one, I think it was chapter four. And you see one of these on Sorgan. Mando's gone there with the kid ready to take his foot off the gas yeah pretty much ready to kick back and kick back and retire. stay there yeah pretty much and it's only because that 
bounty hunter tracks them down and takes the shot. Too perilous for the child. Exactly. It wasn't safe, so they decide to move on. But you've got that whole great sequence where Cara Dune really comes into her own as, as a debut for a character, a great yeah. debut for the yeah. character, and helps them take out the Raider ATSD. Yeah. Brilliant design. And brilliantly underused as well. Yes. It could have been too much, but yeah. it was subtly done, and that benefited from that. And I don't know what you thought, because you look at the ATAT, and you look at the ACACT, that moment we mentioned with Bayes, just feels like, the T-Rex turning and looking at yeah. look at the, yeah. the characters in the original Jurassic. Yeah. But actually, it's the ATST in Mandalorian that is the most like the T-Rex. Yeah, you're right. Probably because of the environment where you have it crashing through the trees. It's that hidden menace yeah. kind of idea. And it again. feels heavier, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got weight to it. Yeah, it does. And, and it, it, it does. It feels way more imposing than, than it does in, in Jedi. I suppose probably because we're used to that bigger scale and we've come yeah. down to the to the ATST. Yeah. Whereas with this, we haven't had walkers for a little while, and we all of a sudden, ooh, yeah, ATST. And and, and the fact that it was pimped, <laughs> if you literally like. pimped. It, and I mean, it cost seventy five thousand credits. You've got to wonder, did they? I don't suppose those raiders bought acquired it. They acquired it. <laughs> exactly. I think that makes way more sense. Technical specifications. Six point four meters in length, four point five meters wide, just over nine meters high. So it's a diddly little thing compared to an Atat. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's a significant vehicle, mm. and it can run at ninety miles an hour over flat terrain. So it can do seventy-five wow. miles an hour. It's a it's a wow. pretty fast vehicle. We've never seen We've one of these flat seen one out full pelts. No, no. But I mean, you, you were talking about speed of the Atat earlier. I mean. Was that 50 mile an hour? 50 for the ACACT, 60 for the ATA. Yeah, I mean, that, that crazy speeds. I mean, it'd be interesting to see them do that. Yeah. Or, or would it? Or would I don't it? know. It might, I mean, yeah. it might sort of cloud your memories a bit. But but yeah, the fact that an, an ATST can do 90. 90 kilometers an hour. <laughs> that is that is fat. I would love to see that. Please, Lucasfilm, show us an ATST going at full tilt. And then I want to see a, a protocol droid with a speed camera <laughs> clocking it as it goes past. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay for that. Weapon systems. It's got a chin-mounted Tamenback MS-4 twin blaster cannon, so hefty cannons, cheek-mounted, as we mentioned earlier, Yauv Gunsmith 88i twin light blaster cannon, so it's got these to the one side, cheek-mounted Dimec DW3 concussion grenade launcher to the other side, so it's got that's that sort of the multiple cartridge to the yeah. side. It's got a missile launcher. Crew complement. Needs a crew of two, a driver and a gunner. So we saw that in Jedi with Robert Watts and Richard Marquand. Yeah, and it's got room for one person at the back, rather cramped, chewy and a couple of Ewoks, which I think was brilliant. <laughs> Such a, a great vehicle. We've seen it on snow. We've seen it in a city environment on mm. Jeddah. We see it in a forest in Endor. So definitely a vehicle that you could imagine. I mean, I wonder if they ever have any on. I mean, we go into Coruscant in Andor. Could you see an ATST in the streets of Coruscant? You wouldn't expect an attack. You feel like an attack you would send it out into big military open area engagements. You can take a hammer in. It's yeah. going to take a lot to get an attack down. AT ATTs aren't designed to go into combat, but they can look after themselves. An ATST feels like it can go wherever it needs to go. Yeah, it's not much of a stretch to imagine it on Tatooine. We had it on Jeddah. Would be good to see it appear in Andor. Maybe on a familiar planet. Maybe if they throw Dantooine in there or something, we see them raiding Dantooine. That'd be great. I mean, of course, in the prequels, there are even smaller versions again where you've got the rider sitting on on the walker. Yeah. So there's an evolution of the individual different walkers yeah. anyway. And potentially, when we come back to the Mandalorian or maybe even whatever comes next for Boba Fett, yeah. we could see another evolution again. How do you feel about that? Just as an aside question, because when we were kids, there was Stormtroopers and then there was Snowtroopers and there was Sand 
troopers and there was biker scouts and there was quite a limited amount of armoured characters when you got to the prequel trilogy there was loads you get to the sequel trilogy there's loads as you've gone through canon the new era but I mean the Mandalorian added stuff the Solo added the yeah. Mud Troopers yeah. Scarif Troopers in Rogue One so there's all these different types of armour and I wasn't so sure at first but now increasingly I love the variants mm. so if there was another variant of an Atat we see the evolution in Force Awakens and in Last Jedi you're open to that you welcome these these yeah. additions as a kid we accepted the fact that we've got different troopers for different environments yeah. perhaps they do push it a little bit these days they do but it's always interesting to see something else that brings that original concept John Molo yeah Molo worked on it yeah. obviously Macquarie worked Macquarie, on it yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that you can see some of the original concepts being brought in where you get the heavier brow yeah. on the trooper yeah. helmet which for me it, it's an acceptable thing and I think probably because we're not so likely to to be expecting a huge toy to come out like they used to back then sure. it's just nice to see it anyway isn't it thanks for listening to Start Your Engines if you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the free Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device do you follow us on the app Paul? I follow you into battle, sir, every day. I love it. You can reach out to us, <laughs> you can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at So any questions, any queries, any corrections, anything you think we've missed or things you want us to talk about, we will talk about it on Start Your Endings. Send us a question, Paul. You want me to send you a question? Anything you like. How big is a TIE fighter's wing? Comment, like, and share on any... I'll find out and answer next time. Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatracks. And be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcast. You can listen to episode two. We talk about TIE fighters in episode two, don't well, we? Well, I, I could. I'll listen to that there. There so you go. You I'm just encouraging other people to do so. Listen to that on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fantatracks intro and our Start Your Engines opening music, Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers and of course the data miners at Wikipedia. Remember tune in to Good Morning Tatooine it's live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern on 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatrax Radio Friday night rotation every Friday night 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of The Fan From Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and every Tuesday night 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode I thought a data miner was a young android from Star Coming up next on Fantha Tracks Radio, it's Making Tracks.